digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. So imagine a model where you're producing a product, but you have no say in what you're gonna sell that product for. Dairy farmers have been paid what they are given. They are not paid what it costs them to produce the product. We've lost some really good dairy farms in Vermont. Really good, people who are doing a spectacular job of being stewards to the land and of being good neighbors and of being good employers. We're losing them. We found out that this fall, Horizon Dairy um, canceled 89 contracts with farmers, small organic farmers in the northeast part of the country. We've got the big giant multinational businesses that are out here that they want it their way, man. The public still doesn't know that in the last few years, most cows, organic and um, conventional, have moved indoors. They still have images of cows out on grass. I mean, to use Horizon again, the example is like, you know, the Chapman family farm, which has been out of business for three years, is still really prominent in all their advertising materials. They don't, even milk, they don't milk cows anymore, like at all. There are no cows being milked on that farm, whether it's the Chapman family or anybody else. It's just empty. Because some people won't know listening to this, what's a CAFO? Concentrated animal feeding operation defined by the EPA, actually, because they create so much intense pollution and they had two, three, four thousand, five thousand, ten thousand cow dairies and not pasturing the cows, which is a requirement. You pasture your cows. No chance they can ever graze. And yet they have uh, bribed, uh, subverted, whatever nasty word I want to think of, the USDA. I do put the blame on the shoulders of the USDA. Um, you know, I've thought for decades it's a dereliction of duty. If you make the rules such that only the big boys can make profit, then you will have only the big boys. They're not losing money. They're just not making as much as they want to. Lobby related to food and agriculture is larger than the defense industry lobby. And you know, most of us think about, you know, it's the weapon systems where the real fights are. No, it's actually food systems. So they're gonna do whatever they can do to make sure that marketplace, that they control 85% of the meat in this country, they, they, or the world, I should say. They like that. Because you control food, you control people. And that cheap milk from Texas is only cheap as long as fossil fuels are cheap, you know? And as long as there's water in Texas. You go back to those 89 farmers and what they're doing. You look at what it took to make those farms what they are today and to produce the quality product that they have for so long. That is the healing of the world. I think we need a deeper questioning about what is gonna underlie our economic system going forward if we wanna solve this. It's not gonna be little tweaks here and there and cap and trade. It's, it's gonna really have to be a, a deeper questioning about the wisdom of um, the holy grail of economic growth. Uh, it's gonna be a questioning about the wisdom of um, the commodification of labor, about the wisdom of continually extracting our natural resources until they're gone. I don't know if we have, as humanity are up for asking ourselves those deep questions, but I think we're gonna to need to if, if we hope to continue to um, survive on a livable planet. You know, it's, it's some pretty serious times. 
The audio we just heard came from a video entitled Milk and Money, which can be found on the front page of realorganicproject.org. I am pleased to have with me this afternoon, Lindley Dixon, a Colorado organic farmer with a PhD in plant pathology and co-director along with Dave Chapman of the Real Organic Project. The Real Organic Project is family farmer driven and embraces centuries old organic farming practices along with new scientific knowledge of ecological farming. Healthy soil equals healthy crops and livestock, which equals healthy people and a healthy climate. I'd like to welcome Lindley to Digging in the Dirt. Oh, thanks, Kevin. It's always fun to talk to you. Yep. So, and by the way, I have to tip my hat towards your media people. Real Organic is producing some really top-notch media there. I mean, very impressive. Thank you. Well, it's really the people that we're trying to give a voice to. So we like to highlight them. A lot of the farmers are really, you know, going through something in the marketplace and, and giving them a platform to voice what's going on, I think is very much needed. Oh, you're doing a good job there. So you have upcoming the 2022 Real Organic Project Symposium. It's going to be virtual with a series of interviews with 50 prominent organic farmers, scientists, and climate activists. And the first Sunday is January 30th, and that focuses on the audio that we just heard, Milk and Money. You want to talk about why we're starting with that on this symposium? Yeah, I mean, it's really something that's been going on for decades, which is the loss of small organic dairies. And it first started in conventional dairy, and then those small family farms found a kind of a safe haven for a fair price for their milk in organic. And so there was a while there where, where organic dairy was just this um, kind of thriving place for, for small family farms and allowed a lot more small organic dairies to enter the marketplace and actually make a living. So it, it was kind of a, a success story of the organic movement that, you know, if you have a smaller kind of hilly farm, you know, where you can't crop that farm, Dairy is a great thing to do in those places, kind of think Western Wisconsin, where the glaciers didn't flatten the land and, and Northern New England. So all of these small dairies kind of popped up there and or, you know, conventional dairies converted to organic because they were finally getting a fair pay price. And the same thing now is happening in organic dairy that happened in conventional, which is just larger and larger players are getting involved and it's becoming very monopolistic and they're controlling the price and the small farmers just aren't getting a fair price for what they're doing. They're really producing a higher quality product. The organic standards require 30% of their dry matter intake of the cows to actually be from pasture. So they do require grazing. And a lot of those bigger farms are just right at the minimum or sometimes have even been caught cheating. The Washington Post just did, a, you know, actually it was back in 2017, did an investigative study and just found that they're not putting their cows out between milking. Sometimes those cows are getting milked two, three times a day. The only cows that are out on pasture are the dry herd, the ones that aren't getting milk. And that of course doesn't affect the uh, nutritional quality of the, of the milk that you're drinking, which is what we want is those healthy oils and higher omega-3s from actually grazing the cows. So it's just kind of the story of where everybody, um, there's not real transparency. So the farmers are getting hurt and the consumers are getting hurt and there's no real way, unless you're finding you know, a brand that comes directly from the farm, which is really hard, I think, for these small farms to figure out how to process their own milk. So milk really is a commodity. You do have to pull it all together because um, it costs you know, about a million dollars, I've heard, to put up your own processing facility on the farm. And there have been successful models uh, uh, and cooperatives, 
And we just, we really need more of that. So we don't let these big brands kind of dilute the uh, really good milk with the high volume milk coming out of the arid West here, where there's just a lot of cows and, and there's no way really to get that many cows back and forth to the barn between milkings and, and then back out to pasture. Um, and pasture isn't just outside on the dirt. It, there has to be something to eat there. So you can imagine with that many cows, you're gonna have to get further and further away from that milking facility to actually find grass to graze. Uh, so it really isn't physically possible to have these huge mega dairies and really truly graze them. You know, we're all um, sad to be losing the small farms and we're also sad that we're not getting the milk that we wanna buy and it's becoming hard to, hard to find it in the marketplace. Yeah, I was on the internet looking at something about a site that was talking about Horizon for some reason. So they were praising Horizon uh, for their organic milk and everything. And then I just posted, I said, well, hate to burst your bubble, but, you know, check this out and sent them to what you guys have um, tried to expose as to what's going on there. Because Horizon was one of the big buyers, right, from lots of little guys. And then all of a sudden they just canceled their contracts. You know, and it's to it's very confusing to be a consumer because they do support some family farms. And then they also buy in some of this really, um, you know, milk that's not being, the, the cows just aren't being grazed as much. So it's like how much of that uh, product, you know, they, of course, they're not going to put the, the big confinement dairy on the cover of their milk, but they will feature the small farm that they're proud of. And it, it's not like, you know, there is a little bit of that milk in there. And so they're allowed to feature that farm. Although we do have cases of where they're featuring farms and they're not buying from those farms anymore. Those farms have already been dropped and they're still featuring the farms. But that's that's the problem is all the milk looks the same in the grocery store and they're all putting pictures of cows on pasture. You don't really know how much of that product is is from that type of farm that they're advertising. So it's it's false advertising, really. Mm hmm. So what do we do as a consumer? You know, we're interested in organic milk, for instance. I mean, I, I don't even know. I buy my milk from Costco, you know, because you can get a better deal for it. But um, I don't even know where their milk comes from. And so how do, what does a consumer do? There is no great answer here. But I think, first of all, get some knowledge. And that's that's what these uh, some, the symposium last year covered milk. This one is really going to feature it prominently. You, there's a lot to learn. I personally don't like ultra pasteurized milk because I feel like, first of all, that's heated up to 280 degrees and it deactivates a lot of the enzymes and um, healthful bacteria that you're actually looking for in milk. So I prefer the raw milk, but if people don't feel comfortable with that, at a minimum, just get the pasteurized milk. That only goes to 160 degrees as a pair compared to 280. So, and it also means that your milk has, it has three times the shelf life if, if it's ultra pasteurized. And so it's probably being shipped a great distance. Horizon just dropped these 89 uh, dairy farms in New England. And at the same time, Maple Hill had to drop 53. So um, because they, Horizon was sourcing from them, but they're still selling milk in all of those states. So now the milk is just getting shipped from further away. And that ultra pasteurization allows that shelf life. So that's one clue for me. If it's all ultra pasteurized, I, I don't like that. And unfortunately, a lot of the grass fed 
Maple Hill and Organic Valley is ultra pasteurized. So it's really hard to be a consumer and find what a problem. the best milk. Yeah, the good quality milk that you want to support and that you want your body, you know, to have. It's actually amazing to me um, how healthful dairy can be if it's, you know, the cows are truly grazed and how unhealthy it can be when they're in confinement. It really is a different product. So this isn't just about the environment and, um, you know, animal rights issues. This really is about your, your own health and finding the best, you know, uh, we're just scratching the surface on nutrition, but dairy is one of those things where we really know that conjugated linoleic acids come from pasture and higher omega-3s. And these are the good oils. So these are oils that you actually want to be eating. And so even though nutritional, um, sciences, I think so far behind because it's so complex and we've got humans who eat such a varied diet. It's really hard to figure these things out, but we, we have a lot of understanding of the connections between health and, and grazing. So, um, it's one of those things that's just, it's pretty obvious if we can actually graze cows, it's better for the land and the environment and, and better for communities. Cause all these small farms can thrive because you really can't have a big dairy and, and, you know, get those cows back and forth to the, to the dairy barn and still get pasture. So it really is a small farm, a place where small farms can thrive. So there's so many reasons to do it, but I have to say it's very confusing out there in the marketplace because it is hard to find good products. We have some real organic project certified farms like Butterworks, um, but I, I can't get a Butterworks product uh, out here in Colorado. So if I go to my grocery store, often Aurora Dairy, which is a 15,000 cow dairy, just completely de depleting the Ogallala Aquifer, it's uh, labeled as local here, Aurora Dairy. So these huge um, mega dairies are what are in my backyard. And that's not the product that I want, you know, when I think of as local. So uh, the marketing is very, very confusing. So I think we, we need to start with educating ourselves on what we do want. And then when we get that education, we need to start demanding it very, very vocally to our grocery stores and, um, you know, policymakers. We're excited to have uh, Senator John Tester and Shelly Pingree is, is a farmer as well in Congress. So, um, and John Tester is a uh, Montana grain farmer, organic. So these are two certified organic farmers that uh, we were able to interview on in Congress on this issue. And um, so we need to be really active both in the marketplace and um, politically as well. So what do you recommend to the consumer here, you know, who's listening to this? And it is confusing. It is complex. Yeah. I mean, come to the symposium, for instance, and learn a little Definitely bit about Definitely come to the symposium. I mean, I think for the most part, consumers have an idea that grass fed is good. Mm -hmm. But that is just not a very well-regulated uh, term by the USDA. So even 100% grass-fed, the USDA allows, um, for example, the, the, um, uh, what's the byproduct from ethanol production is something called dried distiller grain. And this is really just GMO corn, which has been like a lot of the oils and stuff have been taken out for ethanol. And then this byproduct comes out and that is considered grass-fed. So people think of um, grazing as grass-fed and really you can confine cattle and be 100% grass-fed and feed hay, which is actually one of the better things that they could be fed. Um, but this dry distiller grain, sugar beets, I went to an organic sugar beet farm and they said, yeah, we're growing these sugar beets for um, 
grass-fed cows because this is allowed. So, so really confinement is what is allowed for grass-fed and that's very confusing for the consumer. They picture pastured cows. So we really need to be knowledgeable as consumers about what these terms mean because um, we're getting fooled in the marketplace. I think they're taking advantage of, of that association between the word grass-fed and actually outside on pasture whereas it doesn't mean that you know to put that label on the product the usda allows 100 percent confinement and and that term grass-fed so we've got a lot of work to do for transparency mm -hmm. that's one thing i got from your website uh, reading it that the, the, there's a big concern for the rules of organic and they're being changed by big players who are dominating the markets and they're being aided by the usda what's your thoughts on this on, on the meeting of USDA organic. I mean, this also coupled with the second part of your seminar, which is protecting organic. But let's start there with, you know, this the big players and their influence. Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions amongst the farmers about what to do. I really think that's what needs to happen is back before the USDA was involved, the farmers were very involved in their local chapters of their um, local certifiers. And these certification agencies were really farmer led and the standards were farmer led. And so that's what the Real Organic Project is trying to reignite again, because when the USDA got involved, a lot of those farmers were like, phew, we don't need to worry about it. The USDA has got this, you know, we can just go back and farm because that's hard enough. But the reality is that the farmers need to stay really active and because the USDA doesn't have it. And we talked about, well, let's just start over and do our own thing again instead of being an add-on label, which is what the Real Organic Project is. But um, there was a lot of concern that there is so much awareness right now about what organic means. And you know, we're finally getting that awareness from consumers. And it would just be like turning that word because the USDA does own that word organic as a marketing term over. We'd turn that over to the, like the same players that kind of diluted the concept in the, in the first place. So. Uh, that that wasn't okay with a lot of our farmer members that we would have to start with another word. And of course, there are a lot of great ones out there like agroecological, um, regenerative, a lot of these words, um, you know, we could start over with, but they have their own issues as well as in, you know, as far as integrity. I know it's considered regenerative, for example, to um, herbicide grain so that you can get a dry down right before you harvest and then it's mm -hmm. a no-till situation so we would have to go through and define regenerative just the same way we did organic and we actually did a really good job with defining organic in the first place it's just a matter of the implementation and enforcement that's that we're really struggling with so the idea of going back and and defining what regenerative means by law it's we would come up with the exact same thing and we would have the same issues. So uh, we've decided to kind of really fight for this organic movement that we've all been a part of for 50 years now instead of start over. Yeah, it looks like Real Organic believes that part of the problem is that the marketplace is essentially dishonest. That's right, like exactly. For milk, what I was talking about, you can put that pet, uh, picture of the cow on pasture. And if, if that is one of your farms, I guess technically you're not lying, but if it's not what the majority of the milk in that bottle is, then I would say we've got a problem. And the, the reality is too, is with a commodity like that, there is no way to know what farms, Horizon, Organic Valley, any of these, Maple Hill, these are great companies, but they're very competitive with each other. 
And if we can all stick that, you know, one small little farm that's grazing on the cover, um, then the, there is a price war going on. If you can source, you know, cheaper milk from these large confinement dairies, you can sell a product that's cheaper and still advertise the, the pastured milk on the cover. So there, the marketplace does incentivize that because there really is no transparency about what is actually in that bottle. And that's mm-hmm. what you can always do with the Real Organic Project is you can tell. And it doesn't always come from one farm. So like Sidehill Dairy, for example, is using our label and they source from a couple other farms for their milk. And we've visited those farms. And, and so there is transparency in terms of you know, all the milk, you can tell what farms are going to be in that bottle. And that's what we've, we've lost. Okay. So what does the consumer do? I mean, this the consumer, I think, really wants organic. You see organic products blooming everywhere. Every, every box store, every store is putting in organic sections. But this yeah. is really complex. I mean, how do you discern, you know, they, they jump right in, you know, they, they took over all natural <laughs> right away. Right. And now right. they're working on organic. They go to, like, to me, it seems they go to the very, very basic level of defining the definition of grass-fed well, or organic. Well, there's just some basic rules of thumb, like that Costco milk that's labeled organic. As a consumer, you can choose not to get that at, at a bare minimum because we call those private label milks. And, and they are very cheap, so it's enticing. And they are better than conventional. You know, that 30% dry matter intake that needs to come from pasture is the rule. And there are no hormones used or antibiotics. And so we want those things. We don't want to just say, oh, it's all fraudulent and go back to conventional. None of us want to drink that milk. But steering clear of those private label brands, because we know that they are sourcing from Aurora Dairy, for example, those those huge dairies out West, and there are several. Um, Natural Prairie Dairy is another one. There are several out here um, that that are just too big, and they're located where grass just really doesn't grow. So it doesn't make sense environmentally either. What, what, so what do you do? Start. <laughs> Don't source from the private labels. Of course, Organic Valley is farmer led and uh, I will get Organic Valley during the winter when my local farm um, is no longer producing. And you know, I, when it's local, they, they actually are not certified organic, but they're two miles up the road. And, and these folks really believe in pasturing their milk. So if you know the farm, then, and, and they are producing, uh, you know, milk or whatever product you want to buy. I am less concerned about the organic label, but if you're shopping at the grocery store, organic Valley is, is definitely a better brand, but there are some regional brands. I mentioned a few like Butterworks, um, Maple Hill and, uh, Side Hill, for example, but we don't see those in our store. Yeah. Alexander Dairy is another good one. We have Horizon. Uh, (laughs) You have Horizon. That's your only option, huh? Yep. And it's $6, say, a, you know, a half gallon. Yeah. I would say it's absolutely better than the conventional product. But if you only have that, that private label brand, I would still choose horizon over the private label. Cause I'm mm-hmm. sure hundred percent of that milk in the private label brand, um, like the Costco brand organic or yeah, we've got Kroger brand organic out here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that's hundred percent from CAFOs, but the um, horizon does source from some family farms. So that is better than the alternative, but it's the problem is horizon is cheaper than these really great family scale dairies. And so we just, it, it is a matter of going back to the drop drawing board, 
understanding what you're asking for and then demanding that. So we really need a political movement um, because what we want is not being offered. Right. And so to move away from milk for a moment with the, the second Sunday is February 6th and the title of that symposium that day is protecting organic. But what's going on here is you have a lot of speakers that you've recorded, correct? And people are going to go to these to your site and, and watch the symposium and see these speakers for what, 15, 20 minutes each? Yeah, the speakers are actually, we've got this podcast series. So we've recorded at least an hour of just, you know, really diving in with one individual for the podcast. And then in order to present a story in a really interesting and engaging way, we've got these great editors that can pull kind of the best moments from our podcast and piece it together into a story. Cool. So if you don't have 70 hours, you know, to listen yeah, to that's the podcast, <laughs> you can just dive in in an hour and a half and really um, kind of get an overview and some action items so that we can all, you know, start engaging and moving together in the same direction as eaters and farmers. I think the type of farming does exist that we're trying to support here and their contracts are being canceled. They're going out of business. So uh, we're really trying to engage a, a very active movement by both consumers and farmers to save these farms that are farming, you know, the way that we want to support these farms. So the time was 10 years ago, um, <laughs> because that's when a lot of these huge dairies started entering the organic market. Um, but we're really feeling the push right now uh, with this huge drop by horizon of so many farms, you know, the 89 plus 53, that's a lot in a region. Uh, that's, that's a that's lot, a lot. Of small farms. It's going to have a huge impact on that area. So it's, it's kind of a galvanizing moment, I think, to um, start getting really active um, with your with your politicians and, and there's money there and there's like Shelly Pingree was talking about you know this um, is exactly this regional support of whatever we need you know to process milk in our region there is money available for this now so if we can all rally behind this issue you know maybe we can keep some of these farms from going out of business that would be nice but doesn't this go to a little bit of a uh, bigger issue? And that is like always keying in in our society right now, the way we're set up to profitability. It yes, seems, that it is seems one like, of the themes. so it's <laughs> like, it's be big and make more profit, you know, and be damned uh, the quality and the, and the society and the little, the little farmers all over the country that are instrumental to their society in their own state or county. Yeah. And I think this is where, some of our rock stars like Michael Pollan and Leah Penniman speaks really eloquently on these issues as well. Severin, uh, her last name is really tricky. Uh, Severin von Scharner Fleming is a gorgeous farmer that just a brilliant brain. And she, she so eloquently speaks on uh, just scale and how these, when these large entities are allowed to enter they drive out the small farms because the price just becomes so cheap and is, is cheap all we value. And what are we losing when that is our, the only thing that we value? So I, I really feel like we've got um, such, such great voices on this one. And Severn in particular has been fighting this battle in seaweed farming off the coast of Maine, where you know she's getting like a $9 per pound price for what she does out of a small little boat and you know and then these huge 
um, kind of mega boats just scrape the bottom of the floor of, of the ocean and can come in and 25 cents per pound, you know, well, who doesn't want that 25 cent per pound product, you know, for algae is kind of a food additive and, and a fertilizer, but it, you know, you can also eat it directly. Uh, nutritionally, it's, it's a great product. It's very different what Severn does, you know, compared to what the big guys do. And, but yet they can do it for 25 cents a pound. And so we, what do we lose when we say uh, these guys are allowed to enter the market too? And I think that's kind of a theme for the whole, um, every, you know, whether it's seaweed or dairy or vegetables, you know, we need, we need to talk about other things that we value in, in our world. And what do we, what are we losing if we think prices is, is I think is it goes ultimate. yeah I think it goes across all, everything we're talking right. the same issues in climate change the same issues yes. with destruction of the species that are around the planet I mean the destruction of the oceans we have this extraction mentality you know uh, for profit right. and no other consideration and you're addressing that in this one area but it goes across many many areas I think what do you think yeah yeah, and I think there's so many farmers that really can tie their production practices, not only to the environment for sure, but but nutritional value as well. And so I, th I think eaters will be really excited to come and learn, you know, the differences too in production. Like, you know, what what are these local farmers doing that the big guys aren't and why does that matter? Mm hmm. So if you had to recommend, you already dropped a couple of names here. If we wanted to listen to two or three, we have time for four or five speakers on those days. Who do we absolutely have to watch in your opinion? Oh gosh. So you, you wouldn't be able to just come and watch Michael Pollan, for example, you would have to listen to his podcast if that's all you wanted to see. And the clips move quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's just a minute or two oh, I get of, it. of each speaker. Um, and it keeps it really alive and engaging um, because you see how all of these speakers, what they're saying, will put all the themes together because it's so related, you know? So, so come and, and if you, if you can't make it, live it's really fun to be there live because you can see the the comment stream on the side you know and it, it feels very alive and That's you know cool. we're there introducing it live but um you can also watch the recordings after the after the fact if you if you're not able to make it between three and five eastern on sunday here so it's only Thursday. it's only two hours each time correct right that's correct yep there's that's a pretty hour. good yeah it's a pretty good amount of time to you know it's enough right yeah, it's like watching a documentary. It is that interesting. You know, we're we're all kind of sick of going to these online meetings. So we've we've really thought about how do we keep this engaging and how do we keep people um, excited about the content. Right. Uh, so it's very highly edited. And then if you love a speaker and what they said, go listen to their podcast. Great idea. I like this. And folks, as I started off the program saying, these guys and gals are really good at what they do with media. It's really polished. It's really interesting. It moves along. They they thought this out. So I, I recommend uh, checking it out. And why don't you tell everybody what it is again, the upcoming 2022 Real Organic Project Symposium. Just give us the dates again and, and the two subject matters that you're sure. in. Yeah, go to realorganic2022.org or just Google Real Organic Project and uh, you'll be able to get more information in the faces of all our speakers. But on January 30th and February 6th, which are two Sundays from three to five Eastern, you can join us live. 
and there's um there's yeah it's just pretty fun to be there in person uh because or live virtually in person because uh we we do get a lot of people that come and uh we do have breakout rooms so you can meet a lot of people there's exhibitors at the bottom it, it is it's it's kind of exciting event. yeah it is and so how's it going with the real organic certification is are you getting more and more farms so what's what's how's the traction we are yeah we're at about 850 this year uh one of the things we're most proud of is that we have this whole farm conversion concept so um it is going to limit the number of farms that qualify but you can feel really good about the fact if you see the real organic project label that this is um, you know, an organic farm that's completely committed to all of these concepts, you know, you don't have any parallel production of the same product, some of it's conventional, some of it's organic. Um, so these are some of the concepts that the organic farmers and the organic movement, you know, rallied for at the beginning and weren't able to get with the USDA, but they're still part of the movement. Uh, worker welfare, uh, we're taking on the concept of fair contracts for farmers, you know, these are things that we're trying to push the USDA further. So all, all good things, part of the organic movement, but haven't been able to make it into the laws. Yeah. And, you know, since we got everybody's attention and we're talking about the real organic project certification, I, I wanted to give a shout out to the ones in our area, our listening area that do it. So in Connecticut, we have the Asawaga Farm in Putnam. We have the Ford Hill Farm in New Milford. We have the Riverbank Farm in Roxbury, the Sub Edge Farm in Farmington, the Sun One Organic Farm in Bethlehem, the Sweet Acre Farm in Lebanon, and the Waldingfield Farm in Washington, Connecticut. So those are the Connecticut ones. And we have three in our listening area out there on the north end of Long Island, Biophilia Organic Farm in Riverhead, the Browder's Birds in Mattituck and Garden of Eve in Riverhead. So there are some people that you may want to support if you agree with what Lindley Dixon, the uh, co-director of the Real Organic Project, has been talking about today. Well, thanks for doing that, Kevin. You can always go to our About section on our website and see the list of certified farms. So there's that transparency there as well. Yeah, we got to vote with our dollars. You know, we talk about that here all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's one way you make change, I think. So. Absolutely. That's, yeah. So we'll finish up with this. You know, I like this question you posed for the February session. It is, what is the impact of personal choices compared to political change to move beyond the fringe into mainstream markets? And what will protect us from corporate greenwashing, money, and power? It's a pretty serious question. And I, it's probably going to be answered in your symposium a bit, but maybe you could just finish off with, with you know, like, you know, personal choices sure. and, and support for like an organization like yourself, the Real Organic Project. Well, yeah, exactly. What we've realized is that personal choices aren't enough because in the dairy situation, we're not even given good options anymore. So we have to be political. We have to move beyond voting with our do dollars. Of course, we need to keep doing that but we need to do more. And so that's what coming together uh, around these issues is gonna do is so that we can all move in the same direction. Well, keep up the good work there. I really like you guys, Dave Chapman and yourself and everybody that's involved with us. It's quite a, quite a list of people that are supporting the Real Organic Project. So Lindley Dixon, thank you so much for coming on Digging in the Dirt. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for amplifying our message. You got it. Digging in the dirt, digging in the dirt. You have been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org. And now all Digging in the Dirt interviews can be found on Spotify.